Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 26. Today we will be reading Book 7, Chapters 13 through 18 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, God's Planning. There you'll find weekly episodes and a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. We're going to return to the theme of praising God, which is what started us off in the confession. So it's not anything new, but Augustine turns his mind again to praise God, to give thanks for God's goodness. And then we're going to consider the relationship between being and goodness and evil. We've been kind of dwelling on these themes a little bit. We're going to continue to do so. We left off the last episode with the realization and and the affirmation of that which is created, that which has being is good. So we're going to carry on with that. And then at the end of these chapters, uh, St. Augustine has a little section on Christ and Savior. So it's one of the first um, times that there's a sort of more substantial consideration of Christ. Not the only time, not the first time Christ has been mentioned, but Christ's redemption working in Augustine is, is going to round us out for the day. So before we get to the reading, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 13. And to you nothing whatsoever is evil, indeed not only to you but also to your creation as a whole, for there is nothing outside it that might break in and corrupt the order that you have appointed. However, in this or that part of it evil can be found, for that part is not in harmony with others. But those very things are in harmony with others, and in that way are good, and they are good in themselves. Yet all these parts that are out of harmony with each other are still in harmony with that lower part of your creation that we call earth, which is made up of its own windswept cloudy sky, which has its own harmony. Therefore, far be it from me to say these things should not be, for even if I only experience these realities and thus would rightly long for better things, nonetheless I must praise you for these by themselves. They all proclaim that you are to be praised, sea monsters in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. 
But when these praise you, O our God, from the heavens and in the heights, all your angels, all your hosts, sun and moon, all the stars and light, the highest heavens and the waters above the heavens, in praise of your name, I did not now long for things better, for then I conceived of all things. And with a sounder judgment, I understood that things above are better than things below, though all of them together are better than those higher things by themselves. Chapter 14 How unhealthy are they who are displeased by any part of your creation, and so too was I when I was displeased by much that you have made. And since my soul would not dare to be displeased with my God, I refuse to admit that anything that was displeasing, for it should be said to come from you. Hence it fell into the opinion that there are two substances, thereby finding no rest and contenting itself with idle chatter. Then turning back from that belief, it fashioned for itself a god, though one that was infinitely stretched out in space. Thinking that this was what you were like, it placed its heart in this fabrication. Thus again it became the temple of its own idol, something abominable to you. But after you soothed my head without my knowing it, and turned my eyes from looking upon vanities, I somewhat ceased being my former self, and my madness was lulled to sleep. And I awoke in you and saw that you are infinite, though in a different way from what I had imagined, illuminated as I was by a vision that was not bodily in nature." Chapter 15. And I looked back on other things, seeing that they owed their being to you and are bounded by you. But I realized that I was wrong to think that this was a kind of spatial enclosing. Rather, all things are bounded by you because you hold all things in the hand of your truth. And all things are true insofar as they have being. Nor is there any falsehood, except when we say that something is, when it, in fact, it is not. And I saw that all things harmonized, not only with their particular places, but also with their seasons. So too I saw that you, who alone are eternal, did not begin your work after the passing of countless ages of time, for all spans of time, both those that have passed and those that will come to pass, neither pass away nor come without you being abidingly at work. Chapter 16 And I perceived, finding the fact in no way strange, that bread that tastes pleasant to a healthy palate tastes wretched to someone who is ill. Similarly, sore eyes find the light offensive, though it is delightful to him whose eyes are well. So too your righteousness is displeasing for the wicked, not to mention the viper and the worm, which you created good, suited to the lower parts of your creation, with which the wicked themselves are also in harmony, and eat all the more to the degree that they are unlike you, though they are suited to superior realities to the degree that they become more like unto you. I sought to understand what iniquity is, and I discovered that it was not any kind of substance, but rather a perversion of the will turned away from you, O God, the Supreme One, toward these lower things, casting away its own bowels and becoming swollen. Chapter 17 I was amazed that I now no longer loved a mere phantom of you, but rather you indeed. But I did not press onward to true enjoyment of you. Instead, I was lifted up to you by your beauty, all of a sudden being brought back down from you by my own weight, sinking with sorrow into these inferior things. Such was the weight of my carnal habits. Nonetheless, some memory of you dwelt within me, and I did not in any way doubt that there was one to whom I might cling, but that I was not yet in such a state as to cling to you. For the body that is corrupted presses down upon the soul, and the earthly dwelling weighs down the mind that muses upon many things. And I was most certain that, from the creation of the world, your invisible works are clearly seen, being understood through the things that are made, even to the point of knowing your eternal power and Godhead. 
For I examined the source of my admiration for the beauty of heavenly and earthly bodies, and I considered what helped me to judge correctly about mutable realities so that I could state, this ought to be this way, but that should not. In other words, while so examining how it was that I judged things like this, for I did do this, I discovered the unchangeable and true eternity of truth above my own mutable mind. Thus gradually I passed from bodies to the soul, which perceives through bodily senses. Then I passed onward to its inward power for representing external things presented by the bodily senses, a kind of knowledge that even the beasts can fashion. And further still I passed onward to the power of reasoning, which renders judgments concerning what is received through the senses. And when this power within me discovered that it was itself something changing and variable, it raised itself up to its own understanding and drew back my thoughts from the powers of habit, drawing back from the hosts of contradictory imaginations that I had formed, so that it might in this way discover the nature of that light which bespeckled it. Thus, without any doubt, it cried out, the immutable must be preferred to the mutable. And so too it knew the immutable one, for without such knowledge it would have no sure ground for preferring it to what is mutable. Thus, in a single and trembling flash of its glance, it arrived at that which is. Then I caught sight of your invisible things, which are understood through created realities, but I could not fix my gaze on it. In my infirmity I was thrust back and cast down once more into my normal habits. I only carried with me a loving memory of what I had experienced, as well as a longing for what I had, as it were, caught a whiff of, though I could not yet feed upon it. Chapter 18 Then I sought a way to obtain enough strength to enjoy you, but it would not be found until I embraced the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who is God over all, blessed forever. He was calling unto me, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the very food that I was unable to receive, he mingled with our flesh, for the word became flesh, so that your wisdom by which you created all things might provide milk for us in our infant state. For I did not hold to my Lord Jesus Christ as a humble man clinging to the humble one, nor did I yet know where his infirmity would guide us. For your word, the eternal truth, he who is far above all the higher parts of your creation, raises up the humble to himself. But in this world here below, he built for himself a lowly dwelling place from the dust from which we were made, so that he might humble those who would be humbled and so brought to himself. Thus he heals their swollen condition and nourishes their love so that they might turn away from self-confidence and consent to become weak, seeing before their very feet the Godhead, now made weak by taking on our garments of skin. Thus, in their weariness, they might cast themselves upon him who will lift them when he rises. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we're starting off with this return to praise again, to praise God, to praise God for his goodness. Praise, still one of the motivating factors for Augustine and his writing the confessions, his living his life with Christ. I don't know. I don't know if there's more to read into it or not, Father Gregory, but it seems that like I, I think of it in this way in, in returning to praising God with Augustine, that the Christian life, the life of worship and the life of prayer is is simple. You know, we do the same things and we might thank God or, or beg God or praise God and for different things. But, you know, God wants to be praised, wants to share his life with us, wants to be adored. And Augustine keeps returning to it. It's, it's less of a sort of like to-do list and more of, of a habit uh, or a disposition before God. And I think is a good reminder for us of, of how to live with God and before God. Yeah. And I think 
St. Augustine describes this in a variety of places in his corpus. So if it's a theme by which you're interested, readers, uh, listeners, uh, you can find St. Augustine's preaching on the Psalms, the Inerationes and Salmos, uh, where he, he treats the Psalms kind of piecewise, as it were, and breaks them open. And therein you have, you know, obviously a great testimony of praise or a great song of praise, uh, which he takes very seriously and exposits very beautifully. And also you, we have, you know, some of these kind of key lines from the church's liturgy where St. Augustine has been received into like the office of readings, which priests, uh, deacons, and religious uh, will recite on a daily basis and some members of like third orders or lay fraternities and the lay church is, is invited to join as well. But in the office of readings, you'll have these readings from the church's tradition, like fathers of the church in a special way. And there are quite a few from St. Augustine, which speak to this, this dynamism of praise, one of which where he describes the praise of heaven as a kind of continual Amen, Alleluia, and another of which, or in another of which, he describes our progress in the Christian life as a matter of kind of walking and singing. He gives this commendation at the end in his Latin ambulate et cantate, like walk and sing. Like that's those are your responsibilities. So it's something that's very dear to him. It's a refrain for his own life, and so it comes as no surprise that it's a refrain for the confessions as well. Yeah, and as he praises God, he takes up again these questions that we've been looking at, and and this time he he continues on with the question or the relationship of being in goodness, um, recognizing that to have existence, that a thing exists, um, means there's some inherent goodness to it. Later in the tradition, in the in the Catholic tradition, being in goodness are are called or a couple of the things that are called the transcendentals that or that they are one in the same that to be is to be good and to be good is to be i guess is a way to sum it up that sounds like a terrible shakespearean kind of rendition of of the transcendentals but yeah at least i don't know there is there there's probably more to say father gregory on being goodness the convertibility of the two the transcendental reality i don't think augustine correct me if i'm wrong he doesn't hear but he i don't think he that's a bit anachronistic to apply to him, but is still describing the same phenomenon, the same reality. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we, we touched on it in the last episode, but the basic idea is insofar as there's something that's presented to us for our inquiry, insofar as we happen upon something in reality, we know that it's there for a reason, or we know that it's there with a purpose because God, you know, the creator, is deliberate and intentional in his designs. And while he does permit that certain of his creatures depart from him in iniquity or in transgression, his providence is such that he returns those creatures to himself, whether by mercy or by punishment or by other means. So uh, whenever we come before a reality, we know that that reality can bear, you know, kind of like bear to us or uh, kind of unveil to our minds something of its own inner meaning. And in getting a kind of insight into its inner meaning. We see how it's addressed to us for our upbuilding. We see how it's addressed to us for our perfection. And that's basically what we're trying to describe here, that like there's nothing in reality which is which is neutral. Now, there might be a sense in which like, okay, this stack of napkins or that stack of napkins, like who cares? It doesn't matter too terribly much. But it's not as if it doesn't have some kind of, you know, like weight to it, or it doesn't have some kind of metaphysical heft. I've used the word metaphysical now a couple times in the last few episodes, and I can I can feel the listener saying, Father Gregory, stop it. So I will, I take it all back. I just mean to say simply this, that like reality is for you. 
Even though there are people in reality who do evil things, there's still a basic sense in which those people are good because they're created by God. And you can know that you'll never be overcome by evil provided you persevere in your creator and redeemer's intent for your life. And so we don't need to shirk back or kind of shrink back from reality with the kind of fear that it's out to get us because it's ultimately unto the good because it's it's given to us by our creator. Yeah, and I guess for me in reading and reflecting, it raises the question, you know, is existing, is being, my being, is that sufficient? Is existing good enough? And I think as we think about it, the answer has to be yes, you know, because not because we exist in a vacuum or isolated or, you know, just on our own or whatever, but just the opposite that we exist and we're made to live in communion with God and others, uh, that we're not just made without an end in mind, but we're also made to be happy and to be loved and to know that love and to share that love. And um, there's so much that we're made for even when we, you know, even when things seem stacked against us or sins or temptations, our own others seem to be, you know, yeah, just working against us. There's a great, I think, consolation here in recognizing that that we are created shows forth the goodness of who we are because we've not because I earned it or because I say so, but because God who is good made us and desires us for himself. So Augustine's wanderings and questionings here are, you know, beginning to reveal or revealing to us these, these sort of fundamental truths of our faith and of our God. But it also begs the question, and it does so for Augustine of, of evil then, if being is good, um, then how is evil there, you know, and he talks about evil here as and we've talked about it in this in ways before, but as a perversion of the will. And I think this is important because what it what it shows to us and what Augustine shows to us in his own coming to understand this is that that evil isn't substantial in itself. It doesn't have its own being, its own existence. Rather, it's a sort of perversion or distortion of good, either of our own understanding of what actually makes us happy and fulfills us or our pursuit of something that would make us happy, you know? So it's not as if there is sort of these dueling gods of good and evil that St. Augustine understood through the Manichaeans, but rather that it's our misunderstanding or misuse of the good things that causes us to sin or causes evil, these sort of things. So we've touched on this a bit, but yeah, more to say on it. Yeah, I think St. Augustine, he describes a variety of themes, and then he describes them as interrelated here in the chapters from which we just read. So he gets at like the beauty of things and how that causes him to wonder or how that attracts him, and then how he subsequently reasons upon it. But then he says, you know, there's a hierarchy of being in the world, and that hierarchy is based on basically how close things are to God or how much certain things share in the very life of God. So like we as human beings share much in the life of God, whereas rocks share little in the life of God. And so we can say that we are better by nature than they are, and that's a judgment we can all make uh, without prejudice. And so we, and when we're engaging with reality, we have to have this order kind of interiorized progressively over the course of our life. We need to, you know, like fix it or impress it in our very members by growth in the life of virtue, you know, by uh, a greater and greater participation in the life of grace. And when we don't, because we're attached to lower things or because we're slaves to lower things, then that's where this evil is introduced. And, and so when he describes it here as a kind of perversion of the will, it's meant to suggest that our will is just that power by which we engage with reality and, you know, under the uh, the direction of our minds, it judges what's good and what's better and what's worse and how things kind of fit 
in the hierarchy of creation. And it's what inclines us towards that reality such that we can, yeah, be in conversation with it or profit from it or however you want to describe it. But obviously that can go wrong and it does go wrong. And that's where evil enters the picture. So I think that this is another great way in which to describe an orderly approach to life, you know, to call each thing by its right name, to love it as it merits to be loved or to esteem it as it deserves to be esteemed. And, you know, like these different related themes that he touches upon here kind of clarify that for us. Yeah. And as he's meditating on this, he returns or turns at the end of these chapters to a, a sort of reflection on Christ and, and mentioning Christ as his savior. He he does so by saying this, right? Then I sought a way to obtain enough strength to enjoy you, but it would not be found until I embraced the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The word that jumps out for me in reading that and in, and in hearing it again is the word strength. Um, St. Augustine has wrestled, uh, has has fought, it seems, along the way to find that for whom or that for which he is made. Um, he's wrestled against his his sins, his temptations, and all of this, and I think in many ways has, has found himself not strong enough to fight. You know, he laments the, his fight against lust and vainglory and all of this, and finding strength in the embrace of Christ is again, we're like hitting these these points in Augustine's reflections of great revelation of for himself of who God is and what God is for him. And it's it's great to see this in Augustine's own life, but also to reflect on the ways in my life that the Lord has worked and has provided strength and this sort of yeah, camaraderie with with Augustine in this. So yeah, I just I take a lot of sort of peace and like quiet in in these things not in just a sense of like rest in and witnessing god's work and love at work in this man's life so um yeah there's a beauty in it for me yeah i here you know he immediately turns right after the passage from which you quoted he returns to this eucharistic imagery that we described in the last chapter saying you know like god addresses him from the height of his neoplatonic meditations and says like i am the food of the fully grown uh, grow and you will feed on me. This idea that like God is thick, he's real, he's the, the thickest, the realest. And if we want to become thick, if we want to become real, if we want to become something, not in the sense of like make a name for ourselves and get all like the adulation and praise there is to be had, but in the sense of growing to the people whom we're destined to be, then we need to feed on God. And I, I think the imagery of eating is so evocative, it's so powerful. And St. Augustine uses this image often in describing the Eucharist. He says, in the ordinary course, when you eat something, it becomes you. So like you eat whatever calorific thing, calorific, that's the word. Um, and then you've got the energy, as it were, to work. Uh, but he says, when you eat the Eucharist, you become it because you become part of the body of Christ. But that's true, he's saying here on a, on a more fundamental metaphysical level, that when you engage with God, you become him, like you partake of his realness. Like it's not like you diminish the food, you actually get drawn into the food. You become the real thing. And he's saying here that like Christ, he mixes the food with human flesh, which is strange. That image is just strange. And yet you understand what he's trying to say. He's like, Christ makes this food more palatable to us. He makes it closer to our sensibilities. He makes it easier for us to recognize. He just makes it more human. And in so doing, he draws us into the reality of God. So I love, I love this image here of Christ as a mediator of reality, because at the end of the day, we, we need to stand before reality, be shaped by it, interact with it, and ultimately make our contribution within it. Because otherwise, if we're always running from reality or hiding from reality, then we just we just come to pieces, right? Or we slip through our own fingers. We, we prove ourselves wholly insubstantial. So I too am encouraged by this. 
Well, with that, we're going to leave you for today. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.